Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber, and we have a couple of guests with us today. I'm Shelley. Taryn. And today we are going to be talking about the recreational side of drugs, since we were talking about the nootropics last time. Uh, after the microphones went off, the discussion kind of went other places, and we said, hey, we should record this as well, because this sounds interesting. So I am the kind of person who... Uh, believed everything they told me in school <laughs> and things have changed a little bit but uh i have never done drugs and i've always been deathly afraid of them and uh i have been hearing recently from a lot of people that maybe drugs are kind of a interesting thing to try now and then and you guys are here to convince me of this i guess <laughs> well i i actually have a perspective similar to your own in that I didn't do any recreational drugs unless you can't caffeine. I, I don't, I probably wouldn't. I don't think caffeine's <laughs> recreational. No. 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 I mean, for some for people work. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it can be useful, but it doesn't ever make you like happy, right? Yeah. It's not euphoric. It's for some people it happy. does. Oh, does yeah. it really? <laughs> it makes you happy if you need caffeine to function. Right. <laughs> you're, you're just not happy without it. So it gets, it's like you just, you, you get it in you and you're like, ah, normal. Uh, yeah. My, my husband has a, I, what I believe is a purely placebo effect. Whereas if, as soon as he, the, the Mountain Dew touches his lips, he's like, Oh my gosh, everything is great. Okay. So, Before his body's had any time to, right? yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I hadn't done any recreational drugs until last year. Um, and I am in my thirties. <laughs> um, and, and did I, they destroy your life? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Working on it. <laughs> but so I still have not done alcohol or cannabis, which are the most common recreational drugs yeah yeah so you went straight from like so i think Inyash, when you're talking about like the stuff they told you in school you're thinking like dare program yes which to those who are unfamiliar um you could probably google like reefer madness videos on youtube which is like the propaganda films from i don't know the 40s 50s 60s well see even even when i was in in middle school i knew marijuana was basically harmless I see. Everyone really? knew at that wow. point, just because it's so used so widely by so many people. Yeah. But they talk about it like as like so the the dare program was this uh, like drug scare tactic thing that they had people go around to schools and it was always sort of like the, whenever they talked about it, uh, they'd be basically cautioning like, oh yeah, marijuana. Okay, we can no longer say because people have books and stuff now that you know it's it's going to destroy your life, but it's a gateway drug. It's right. going it, it'll it, first you have a marijuana's, then you're going straight to heroin and well, uh, fun so. <laughs> Fun like, fact about dare, it actually yeah. increases drug use. Yeah, so, yeah. So How would it increase drug use? Because, and this totally makes sense, uh, when when I was in the dare program anyway, and I think they still do this, they tell you don't ever do any of the hard drugs like heroin or ecstasy or anything like that, because as soon as you do it, it'll be so amazing. That's all you will ever think about for oh. the rest of your life. You'll become an instant hardcore junkie addict. And it, it's basically not true. And a lot of people, okay, so I recently read a very interesting article from New York Times, I think it was, about a guy who was talking about how he became a heroin addict. Hmm. And he said, no one, no one shoots up the first time they do heroin. That's just, you don't do that. That is hardcore. You don't put needles in you. What you do is you get like uh, some painkillers that someone got from their doctor. They got a little extra. They brought some to the party. You grind it up and you feel good. You have a good time. And the next morning you wake up and there's no hangover and... You're not addicted. You just go about doing your, living your normal life. And so you're like, oh, 
there's actually nothing to worry about. And so then he started taking it more and more and eventually got to the point where it would be cheaper just for me to buy smack and shoot it into my veins than to keep going with these prescription pills. Yeah. And that's how, yeah, you get to the thing. So if you people just were more realistic and be like, hey, kids, this is a bad idea and here's why. Yeah. As opposed to like you do it one time and your life is over and then you do it one time. And you're like, well, everything I've been told is a lie. Yep. So wait, you mean the lies of unintended bad consequences? That sounds relevant. <laughs> Did you ever take any opioids for pain management before you started experimenting with yeah, real um, drugs? I took, I was given a large, largest quantity of Vicodin after surgery and I took one and that was it. Okay. Hardcore. <laughs> You're just going to ride it out or did you, did it no, not agree like, with you or? I, I mean, I thought it may have helped the pain, but then after I stopped, you know, I took one and then after that I was like, you know, I don't really need any more. So whatever. Yeah. I, I had the same thing where most, I didn't... Most people don't do that with their leftover opioids. <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of people, like I've even known some people that developed problem. Well, I know knew one person that developed a problem with it, but like I took it and I never felt high. I just felt like the pain went away and then I fell asleep about 10 minutes later. It made me incredibly sleepy. And you know, that's fine because that's all I want is to not be feeling pain at the time. But, uh, but no, apparently with some people it has a much stronger effect where they actually get happy. I feel very glad that I didn't have a that happy high um because i tend to have this is this is the main reason i'm worried about drugs i tend to have a rather addic addictive personality type like mm -hmm. if i get into a game i will do nothing but play that game yeah. for a while and that, that i mean I, I tend to get that way with anything that i really enjoy so if i really liked a drug i would probably have issues with it i yeah. have that issue with alcohol there, there's different ways you can like stuff though um like like um psychedelics usually operate on serotonin instead of dopamine. So even though you like them, you're not as likely to actually build like reward circuits in your brain that will end up, you know, reinforcing bad like habits with them. I'm very dopamine driven in general, so I would probably get addicted. Yeah, to, well, we all, we all are. I mean, <laughs> but I, like I, I hate serotonin. <laughs> like, huh. yeah, it just makes me feel like, I don't like this kind of happiness, and why is it why is it taking over my brain with this this weird kind? happiness? No, the, the serotonin kind. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, from a drug perspective, because I mean, you experience serotonin, and, and you probably yeah. well like it in in everyday experience. Maybe, but, but whenever it's pushed yeah. over the natural limits, perhaps, perhaps. But I'm also I have like a general depression. Yeah. Um, throughout most of my life and so i think i'm lower serotonin in general probably huh. and also the ssri style drugs don't do that much for me yeah so what was it that got you to try your first drug well part of it actually was the rationalist community okay. <laughs> peer pressure <laughs> i um, am ashamed of my community now <laughs> so um i had heard from various people, like even one time doing psychedelic or hallucinogenic drug could have permanent positive effects on your life. Darren has had said the same thing. Yeah. And that is one of the things that really worries me. Uh, I do not want my utility function to be fucked with right now. <laughs> maybe, maybe like if I get to a point in my life where I'm not happy with who I am, then I would take some, be more willing to take those drugs. But I don't, I don't things permanently change me and Taryn is like yeah. saying he, he said you said basically like any any war hawks who took some lsd would be like no longer as into going to war with things um yeah i i would imagine um i'm sure there's outliers and stuff like that but generally mm -hmm. I, I i doubt 
too many jar heads could <laughs> could could do a lot of LSD and still feel as good about um why it's just you feel less separate i think from from other people at least in my experience mm-hmm. and and MDMA is probably another big one that would make it generally very hard i think those are the two ones whenever we're talking about like recreational drugs you should probably stick to a lot of the stuff outside of MDMA and and LSD I don't think has as many therapeutic uses. Yeah, actually, that was my impression, too, when I was considering what I wanted to do. Probably I'm not going to do MDMA, although I I have heard definitely about the therapeutic uses, but uh, psychedelics in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So why not MDMA? Um... It's certainly more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Is it dangerous? Fine. Or I guess, can you expand on dangerous? Yeah. Uh, well, MDMA is is neurotoxic to a higher degree than than LSD. Neurotoxic like alcohol is neurotoxic or neurotoxic like neurotoxin is neurotoxic? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I don't know enough about it to relate those two. Um, but hmm. generally, MDMA is less safe than than psychedelics. Have you found yourself being stupider the last few years? In ways, but pleasant ways. I'm not as focused <laughs> on just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not as I, I'm can appreciate my own experience more and appreciate being present more rather than just living for the future quite as much. And, and that's something that I've thoroughly enjoyed. Hmm. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I like living for the future. <laughs> I think one way of thinking about that, though, is that if, if your only drive is for like future stuff, that's where like all of like the the Buddhist talks about uh, like why people are so miserable all the time. That's what that's exactly it, right? Well, I mean, so that th- that is a big part of of both my misery and my drive in life, though. It's that. Part the the, mis- the the drive is like I want there to be something of me in the future. I want to make a difference, so I'm yeah working on that. But then there's also the misery where, eventually, a few hundred years, everything dies, nothing matters. Any contribution I will have made will be have wiped out. Like, who remembers? Any, I, I guess Shakespeare and Homer have lasted, but even them, eh, it's it's eventually it won't matter. Even if you have like an amazing critically acclaimed book that's bestseller a hundred years from now, no one's going to remember it. Yeah. I, I I think I was more thinking about just living day to day. Oh yeah. And no, so you're, th- you're thinking about like, instead of like, man, I'm kind of enjoying, you know, right now I'm, you know, between it's like 10 AM I'm having coffee or whatever, mm-hmm. rather than like just living in constant anticipation of like, Oh man, I can't wait till this. Or, you know, I'm waiting for 1230 and then I can do this. Like just being able to sit and bask and relax and be happy where you are for that minute. I think that's more what you're getting. Yeah. It's, it's, it was very hard for me to do nothing before, but that's very unproductive. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but if I'm doing nothing between the hours of 1030 and noon, those are an hour and a half that I could have been, you know, working on a podcast or a book or something. All of this is just like, man, I should be using drugs a lot. I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm, no, I'm, join I'm, us in the productive side. I'm currently doing a lot of nothing and I'm, you know, I could use a, a kind of brain reset. Let's, yeah. let's just do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if I, I'm going to be doing nothing, I might as well be happy doing nothing. But unfortunately, <laughs> drugs do have like a big image issue where you think that, you know, it, it's just a dichotomy. You know, you're either, you know, completely this, oh man, it's all just peace and love. And, <laughs> or you're like completely, uh grinding away in the machine to make more money for the man or whatever you know like 
or make more difference to the future. Yeah, totally. Totally. And but you can, I mean, responsible drug use is something that exists. It's just, I mean, a lot of people who are responsible drug users probably don't go around their office Mm. advertising it quite as much because there's a stigma against it. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the one of the big reasons for for legalization for a lot of these things is just to make it so people can talk about their responsible drug use and kind of break the stigmas of oh you do lsd once and heroin's next you know <laughs> like <laughs> i guess i guess it's one of the things i kind of like about alcohol is that no matter how much you drink the next day you won't be drunk anymore you can yeah. go back to how you were you may not be productive the next day <laughs> depending on how much you drank well i mean it it, it changes you over time for yeah. sure okay you know and also some recreational drugs can boost productivity yeah although i wouldn't i'm not sure you could consider microdosing lsd as fun yeah i wouldn't call it but it is, does help a lot of people i wouldn't call it recreational in that at that yeah. point whenever i think of like doing drugs recreationally i think of doing them without the purpose of improving my life outside of the recreational drugs you know like if you're hmm. if you're but what if you're trying to improve your like I guess some people who are into spirituality or whatever, they they take drugs for that purpose to improve their spiritual journey or whatever. Yeah. So I I know... (laughs) That's still recreational to me. Yeah. I think. Maybe my definition is off, but... (laughs) Well, I think there, there's there's two different goals there, right? One is to have a great time. Another is to like, you know, be a, a serious scholar about your own mind or something, right? So while they're both probably... I guess recreationalism, they're not like prescription use, mm. but I mean, there's, uh, and if you're doing Molly at a party to, you know, roll and have a great time, that's different than like, you know what, I'm going to try this sitting at home, watch, you know, and relax with the best friend or something. Those are very different, yeah. uh, environments and you're probably taking it with a different goal, but you're still using a, an illegal drug recreationally, I guess. You said you also used to be against drugs very much until you heard Sam Harris talking about them. It's a very good very good podcast uh, i still haven't listened to it that's okay there's I've never heard it either it was actually i think his first actual podcast episode there were a couple like lead-up ones but it's second or third and it's he just read the essay that he published I, I read it shortly after it was new some years ago i can't remember when and it took me more off the fence so like i hadn't really used i think i'd tried marijuana a few times at that point but i was pretty much like well i'm not gonna try anything that'll radically alter my perception of reality because i kind of had like this like hardcore like james randy and outlook on drug use and James Randi and like Penn Gillette and people in that community, a lot of them don't use drugs because they're like, well, and they don't even drink. Yeah. They're like, well, yeah, I mean, the whole point of being a seriously scientifically minded person is having a commitment to always perceiving the world as, as unobtrusive or as, uh, as clearly as possible. And I'm, I'm kind of on board with that myself. I am so too. I am too. I think what changed my mind was that like, it's not like if, if you were to get drunk once you're, you're, submitting to a life of never being able to perceive reality accurately again right it's like if you were drunk forever that would be a that'd be a pretty serious issue so you're taking um, a break you take a break i mean it's just like i i feel like taking that philosophy and i might not have been giving it the best steel man i could but if your whole thing is to you know observe reality as as directly as possible well like then you're never going to waste time like empathizing with a fictional character right yeah. so like yeah. i mean as long as you're willing beautiful to beautiful art or anything yeah you're, you're you're going you're going to be taking different levels of seriousness with whenever you want to, 
you know, focus on being scientifically minded, right? So I wouldn't want to go forth and do science while, you know, rolling on LSD. <laughs> but if it's the weekend and I'm like, well, this is how I'm going to spend my time. And I'm going to, I guess, it's the kind of thing that you can turn off and it's not a permanent commitment to losing yeah. your mind. But um, I kind of disagree with the idea that when you're empathizing with a fictional character or that kind of thing that you're you're being deluded and you're not in touch with reality like you are looking into your own brain you're you're experiencing part of yourself and your imagination that, that's not like false information like fiction is different from lies <laughs> that's true i might be rolling with that i can't yeah, argument too hard but maybe like playing video games or i guess no because you know you're playing a video game if you suddenly lost the fact that you're playing the video game but i'm assuming maybe, when you're hallucinating you know you're hallucinating right yeah you i mean you can lose that and that's whenever you have things like timelessness and stuff like that that experience one of the reasons i don't want to do alcohol is i feel like that one in particular would distort my thinking in a way that i didn't experience on psychedelics so oh. far so it totally distorts your thinking but again it's only for like a temporary time the thing is i i will i can get as high with really good music and just dancing and letting the music flow over me as I ever have with alcohol. Mm. And so I consider that or or certain works of written art it's not it's not near it's not as strong as music or as consistent as music but every now and then it can I in my opinion anyway it brings me to a mentally altered state too sometimes. Yeah, you can you can experience probably a lot of what people usually take away from MDMA and LSD just by living a lifetime of meditation, you know, like, like, and really focusing on altering that state of yeah, consciousness I, and putting yourself into a different state of consciousness. Or you could just take LSD and get a lifetime of experience. And, you know, I've heard some scary stories about meditation. Hours. In fact, <laughs> really? really? Yeah. People meditated so much they had a psychotic break. Ooh. Yeah. I think that there are people for whom meditation isn't for them. Like if you, I mean, you have to be the, the ultimate judge, kind of just like, I mean, deciding whether or not you could handle drugs. But, you know, if you feel like opening the doors to your mind a little bit, if you feel like you're, you know, barely holding on or, if, you know, if you have this sort of anxiety about what might come forward or something. I mean, I've never found meditation that transformative. Yeah. Uh, well, rather like, I mean, I found it trans a little transformative in my day to day life, but I've never had you know like a like an enlightened experience or anything like that yeah. right it's probably a bad analogy but it just is the first thing that came to my mind if you're looking at like buying a gun and you got and you get one of like the handbooks from a store the first thing it'll say on like page one is like make sure you feel like you're a good person to own a gun and if you're not great you made a good decision like to not buy it um so like i feel like if you're it's it's just like really another decision that could change your life you know mm -hmm. have some idea of what you're getting into and if you know, make an honest appraisal of whether or not it's good for you, right? That's yeah. A, that's another reason I'm really worried about hallucinogens. Like, I keep hearing, like, they are the good type of drug and you should be okay taking it, but, like, not the everybody. reason... It's, it's all, it, it's luck and genetics, you know? It, like, the reason I am down with alcohol is that it alters your mood without altering um, your perception. And I have a lot of problems with reality. Not a lot anymore, because I've managed to work ways around it, but in general, I have some trouble with reality testing mm -hmm. and i am terrified that a hallucinogen would just shatter all that and i'd be You'll go there and never again. come back yeah. yeah in the place where i was where i don't know what's real I'm, and i'm very interested in hearing more about this if you if you care to t describe it the, the the reality testing yeah part? or like what oh, the 
the worst <laughs> places that you've been with them. little intimate in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I don't want to go too yeah. far into... I, I think... Right. I don't know. It couldn't have been just my religious background because a lot of people have religious backgrounds. But I took that shit, like, seriously. And it, it makes a difference when you know that there is someone who he's, has warm feelings about you, but is literally watching every single thing you do all the time. <laughs> and it was just one of, one, one of the reasons I've never really had a problem with mass surveillance or things of that nature, because I'm like, I lived for years <laughs> under constant mass surveillance. <laughs> what are you fuckers scared of? <laughs> it's... And... My my main breakdowns is in trying to figure out if anything is real, and and the worst part is when I doubt other people's existence. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the, not a lot of times, but sometimes I'm like, suffering in third world countries can't really be real. There can't be something that awful actually in existence. It must be some sort of like simulated reality thing and we're being told about the suffering in those countries so that we have like goals to work to make the world better or that we can feel better about our lives but in in, in no universe could that actually be the thing no one could suffer that much and then like if i meet someone who's gone through awful things i'm like is this person real or were they created in the past week or so to intrude on my life and then i start thinking is anyone real <laughs> oh wow is it just me what are you guys doing in this room are you here because i am a narcissistic person that wants to have a podcast <laughs> <laughs> so, so what did you do what were your strategies my strategy is not to think about that shit except on faith that other people are real and reality does exist and not to engage any solipsists when they try to talk to me about things i'm like you know what fuck you it helps you, if it helps you feel any better i feel very real which is something you would say to try to convince me (laughs) i mean through that lens there's literally nothing i can say right or do that is that is the problem yeah did you ever see the movie the 13th floor no good don't i don't think you'd like it oh man (laughs) that's that's a harsh one yeah another follow-up personal question which you you don't want to answer i don't know what what about isn't there some part of your genetic background that plays into very likely um i everyone in my immediate family has mental issues Mm -hmm. except maybe my mother she Mm. might just have issues because she has to deal with the rest of us (laughs) (laughs) uh but definitely my dad and all my siblings and i don't know about my wider family because they're in the old world i don't Mm. don't have any contact with them Mm. Uh, i know my grandfather on my dad's side was a alcoholic to the point where he uh, was kicked out of his home and then died in a gutter uh, a few decades later so the, the, the certainly some issues, but mm. I, I don't know how well uh, uh, they are. Coincidentally, uh, my Facebook memories just showed me uh, an article I posted exactly a year ago, mm-hmm. which is a Slate Star Codex article. It's about how early psychedelic re- researchers were really weird, but it also mentioned a recent study, a 2011 study showing, oh, wait, that was a different study, but okay, it just mentioned that most studies on safety of psychedelics show that it doesn't lead to increased incidence of uh, psychiatric illness. Yeah, I think it's not, there's not as much worry about it increasing the incidence of psychiatric illness, but bringing out or accelerating mm. the development of psychiatric illnesses that are already present. Mm. And I think that's where people really worry about it. I guess I would want to 
check on that evidence because yeah. i mean yeah it, it's it's it hard because there's not <laughs> yeah. there's not a whole lot of research yeah. on these things but uh, for the, some reason the uh, um, the 2011 study that that i was mixing it up with was the one that said that after one dose i think it was a high dose of psilocybin uh participants in the study generally showed a permanent increase in the openness domain of their personality which is very significant because personality just doesn't change after you're an adult. And psilocybin, for those who are not familiar, is the active ingredient in hallucinogenic mushrooms. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, by the way, did mushrooms and I did not notice that I got more open. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're still the cold, closed off person that you always were. Like I've always wanted to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> Honestly, though, like I really don't want to become more open. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, that's good then. <laughs> Um, and neither with acid, I didn't notice. I don't feel like I got more open. <laughs> Do you feel like anything else about you changed in a permanent way? No. Um, and I, I will relate some of the things that I have heard from others. Um, one person told me that after trying, I forget which hallucinogen it was that he tried, but it was probably the first like serious, mild, seriously mind-altering drug that he had tried. And he was like, well, happiness is chemical. Like I kind of knew it, but now I really understand like happiness is chemical and I, I don't feel bad about getting treatment for my depression now because oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. It can. I mean, a lot of the positive effects I think that people get from it are just confronting things that they haven't confronted before as far as like psychedelics and, and MDMA uh, as well. Um, I don't know what, why really that ties in but well i I, I think that like you know he doesn't think that maybe the drugs are bad and he kind of confronted yeah and then also just the sense that you don't have to buy into the things your depression tells you because it's chemical how how do you uh feel about addiction in in these drugs like what is the risk for for what kind of drugs uh well i'm okay are the only ones that you've taken the hallucinogens no, I've, I've done, I mean, MDMA is probably the one that has affected me the most okay. in my life. But that's um, also hallucinogen, right? I think in a way, I've heard people call it hallucinogen, a hallucinogen before, but I don't know how accurate that is. All right. What, what does it do if you... But like you can get quick... addicted to, to MDMA and, and LSD and, and psilocybin. Psilocybin? Psilocybin. 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 (laughs) Um, Those are both acting on serotonin, and so you don't build as many reward circuits with with those. My my experience with alcohol was, again, happiness is chemical. And and so it was like, hey, (laughs) I have found a thing that when I drink it, I am happy. It was literally joy in the bottle. It was the best thing. And then I didn't stop drinking for three years. So that was not a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I would have much less of a fear of addiction for psychedelics than alcohol and and stuff like that i mean a lot of a lot of a lot of what you see is really propaganda like there's there's heroin addicts that'll tell you it's harder to quit smoking than it is to quit heroin so it's a lot of what you're saying isn't really an accurate representation of of the risks of the drugs it's it's something used to justify the enforcement of them and, I think. Yeah. Another thing you're probably familiar with this, Eniash, is the cultural message that once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. Right. You can't say I used to be an alcoholic. You have to say like, 
I'm, I'm a, a re- recovering. recovering alcoholic. I can and I do say right. that I used to be an alcoholic. Yeah. Right. And uh, I have heard, and I'm I'm sorry that I didn't check on this, but uh, I've heard that there are a number of studies that show that most people with alcoholism and maybe I think including other addictions, they stop on their own without yeah. any kind of treatment or or a program. Yeah. And, uh, and by most, I don't think it's like a, a large majority, but I, I have heard that more than half of the people who had problem for a while eventually are just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And they stop. You'll see that yeah. pretty quickly with LSD. That's one of the things that, I mean, really research should be opened up mm-hmm. on these things. Um, just because to, to completely block it off is to say there's no therapeutic effects. And, you know, I mean, the community that does them, is pretty solid that there's therapeutic effects. So how do you feel about more of the the drugs that are like just party drugs, like, I don't know, heroin and cocaine and such? Before we get to that, I had another, I had a quick question. So we won't use Inyash as an example, but we can use somebody like Inyash as an example. (laughs) Somebody who kind of struggled with like facing existential crisis and solipsism, you know, growing up. And Taryn, you used the phrase, it kind of forces you to face your, your, I don't know what word whatever you you've had, whatever you've bottled up. So I'm, I'm imagining two different ways that this could go for somebody like that. They could either end up back in, oh my God, I'm in the matrix, everything's fake. Or they could end up having crushed that and be like, I can't believe that was ever a concern of mine. Or it I've could spent... just be a visual happy time. That's you know? it. But, but do you think it could go either way? Or do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you say that you used to have some trouble too with reality testing? Yeah. And um, it, it didn't make it worse? I think it didn't make it worse and it didn't make it better but it made me more accepting that that was a part of my life and to just kind of have, I don't know, accept, accept that that was part of my life and not be really controlled as much by it. Cool. Cool. Party drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how how do you feel about the ones that are explicitly known as just party drugs like cocaine and, and, and I guess not heroin necessarily, but, but you know, the, the morphine, I definitely wouldn't call heroin or, cocaine cocaine just a party drug no um it's a wall yeah. street drug yeah it's totally a, you a, get it's an office drug yeah what now you know yeah. like um that joke about or not joke i don't know that that quip about yeah you know, mommy's little helper like taking their kids ritalin <laughs> right. it's cocaine's like the leveled up version of that it's like it's like r-rated ritalin I, I thought the high from cocaine only lasts for like five minutes no it lasts a few hours huh okay but it is i mean you can use it at parties and stuff but i wouldn't I mean, going to a rave or whatever, like I wouldn't choose cocaine as my drug of choice, you know? <laughs> are, are, are they, because those in specific, cocaine and, and heroin are the yeah. ones that you see the most in popular media as being yeah. the destroyers of lives. Oh, heroin's, heroin's pretty bad. Okay. So um, heroin, heroin's an opiate Yeah, and it, it's pretty bad. Yeah. The, the real danger comes nowadays because, because it's again, just a complete, completely like black boxed thing where there's not research heroin or anything like that. Whenever people are buying heroin on the streets nowadays, it's not even heroin anymore and it's cut with fentanyl. And so you're getting people that are buying heroin and they're actually getting an even worse drug for it just because we don't have, you know, regulated markets and stuff like that for these. You, you were. Oh, I was just gonna say like heroin and meth are ones yeah. you really meth, don't want to crazy get, too. get yeah. into. Yeah. So there, there are some limits on the drugs that you're willing to do. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. <laughs> He's I giving mean, me this look to, like, yes, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to it, it, it's you can't present it as all drugs are bad or all drugs are 
good. You know, you have to understand that, you know, they're just be educated about what you're doing. Don't do stuff that the community at large doesn't have positive effects out of it. I mean, if you talk to people who have done LSD and stuff like that, there will be people who have had a bad experience, Mm -hmm. but the majority of them will say it's like, one of the most influential positive experiences of their life or like at least in the top most influential positive experiences in their life. I worry about the bad trip too. I yeah. Think, I think it's worthwhile for you to know um, if you would ever consider doing LSD to know about the the possible bad things that could yeah. happen. To, you know, take into account the warning stories as well as the, the mm-hmm. good things. Because a, a, a bad trip can last for like hours of just terror, right? And yeah, it, it, might could, feel la- like it could last for hours and that might feel like an eternity. Yeah. But that's the whole point of spreading responsible use and stuff. You know, I mean, it, it's about the environment that you keep in. If somebody just hands you LSD and you don't research like what's actually going to happen and you just kind of throw yourself in a pool without knowing whether or not you can swim, it's going to be a bad time. But if you know kind of what influences the trip and and stuff like that, I think you have a higher likelihood of it going well. So what would you recommend for for a good trip? Uh, a good sitter, I would say. Can you define? Just somebody who's who's you love and you trust fully, who is going to be sober with you for that experience. I would say that would be a big one. I will also say that I did hear some warning stories about how you have to be really careful about your environment so you don't have a bad trip and i didn't i didn't find that that really played into my experiences that also depends on like dosage and stuff you know yeah you take a hefty dose of lsd then you're saying i should not take lsd and go to a gore concert (laughs) yeah probably not (laughs) not yet maybe someday (laughs) once you're a little bit more uh, once i'm hardcore into the horror scene (laughs) Am but I then you might as well just do heroin, so. <laughs> oh, well, shit. <laughs> One of my first uh, psychedelic experiences was with someone I was dating who was, was about to leave, and it was, like, the last time that we were going to be together. And it should have been like, a total bummer to be like, I'm really sad and I'm taking drugs right now. <laughs> and I was really sad, but I don't, don't feel like that made it a bad trip or anything. Yeah. What'd you uh, take? Uh, for echoes, synthetic psilocybin. Yeah, those are those are really good too. We don't know a lot about safety, but I mean, if you're just somebody who really fears meeting somebody in an alleyway, which you probably, I mean, if you're trying buying drugs out of an alleyway, you're probably doing it wrong. You're probably doing it wrong. Yeah. Taryn's like, find yourself a corrupt pharmacologist. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys at all worried about? normalizing a culture of drug use i don't know so i i agree that drugs should be legal like every single drug i don't make distinctions of the hard drugs i think they should all be legal and people get to make their choices but the whole talking about it and and telling people how okay you know and life-affirming or whatever it can be to have lsd do you worry that maybe there would be more people that start taking like opiates and cocaine and things like that I think if we started talking about them responsibly, it would probably be less use. Less I would, use? I, I would, I would less irresponsible use, okay. and that's really what's important. You know, you don't necessarily want there to be less use. You just want there to be less people who are just like going freaking nuts with this stuff, yeah. 
And if, if there was uh, an environment where you could have rational conversation about the, the pitfalls and the pros of these things, then I think the responsible use would definitely increase. I mean, it's all over Silicon Valley right now, you know, LSD, and, mm -hmm. and that's because they talk about it. In a, in a responsible and, and real manner. There's some good evidence that our American culture, with the drugs that are legal, particularly, you know, alcohol, the way that our culture talks about it makes it worse. And so I think that if people could, like, just calm down about <laughs> drugs and don't talk about them in this overblown way, maybe people would have a healthier relationship and be more responsible. Uh, like in the way that people are in France, where they're, they don't expect uh taking alcohol, you know, using a bit of alcohol to make you into some kind of rage drunk. Yeah. <laughs> you see like yeah. online communities and stuff like Earwood where a lot of the focus is on safety and harm reduction, you know, because they talk about it openly. It's on the internet. Nobody's going to bust down their door. They're not all like, hey man, you should do heroin because it's so good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, it's it's much more of a, a responsible discussion. I I also do wonder if maybe there could be some kind of uh, assistance services for people doing drugs, yeah. even if it is like an abusive situation, drug abuse situation, like they, people would maybe still benefit from having professionals there with them. Yeah, Portugal, <laughs> they focus mainly on just harm, harm reduction and they don't criminalize it and tell people that, you know, they're the scum of the earth for doing whatever they're doing and then whenever the person they can talk to the police and say hey you know like i really feel like this is becoming a problem can you guys help me get help have you heard of wet houses no In, an interesting concept apparently uh most uh, shelters for homeless people uh have very strong rules about no drugs or alcohol of any kind and that keeps some people out of homeless shelters mm -hmm. and they'd rather just you know freeze on the street and have their alcohol uh, so there was one I heard about, God, I don't remember what podcast it was, uh, probably Radiolab, but a shelter that's set up and they had all sorts of issues with government regulations and getting money. But it was like, we will not give you any alcohol, but you can come here and drink all you want. And a lot of people loved it. And that was like, alcohol was a very big part of their lives. And it's, it's kind of sad. But on the other hand, it's just someone like, I need alcohol. This is how I live my life. And they live their life. And it's not going to be a very long life in, in the long run because they are slowly killing themselves. But I don't know. What can you do? It's, I think it's almost better to allow them to have that sort of a place than to force them out and, and tell them, you know, you have to either be miserable or cold. Yeah. And, and also you have nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, like even if you did want help, it, yeah. it'd be a lot harder. Right. At least at the wet house, you can turn to someone or you can have friends. Yeah. There's somebody there that you can talk to that'll say, yeah, let's work on getting you some help. Yeah. Are there some, maybe some European countries or something that have more of the, these kinds of laws and, and procedures? I don't know. I mean, Portugal is completely decriminalized. I think, I think most places that have huge drug problems, like gargantuan drug problems they're going to start moving more towards decriminalization just because mm -hmm. like having a war on it and like forcing the market to be a black market and yeah. just 
Like, the war on drugs just doesn't work. The, and, dr- and, the and, drug cartels in Mexico have almost as much power as the government. Yeah. More in certain places. Yeah. War on drugs, it just doesn't work. Once your government loses the monopoly on violence, you got to do something. <laughs> I do anticipate that, like, if June 1st, you know, there was like, all right, everyone, all drugs are legal now, that there would be a huge spike in usage initially. Oh, yeah. I feel like that taper off after, like, six months. It might be more than six months. I've heard that every culture in the world has about a 100-year period after they discovered alcohol where, like, <laughs> nothing gets done. <laughs> There's no new inventions. But it's, not like, it's not like LSD would be being discovered in the United States. It's just that now you could get it at the pharmacy rather than having to find a drug dealer. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not like it's going to impede. I don't think it impede society that much because it's not like it's not out there. It's just hard to find. The primary reason I haven't used any of these things yet is because I don't have a safe way to get it. If I could go to the liquor... If I could go to... Again, I don't know what you'd call it, the fancy pharmacy and get, you know, whatever drugs I wanted. Like I can go to the liquor store and get alcohol or go to the dispensary and get marijuana. I would definitely have used most of these things by now Mm. Um, or at least a handful of them. I guess I'm not I'm not sure if I'm trying to make a stronger point or not other than just anticipating that there'd be a spike. But also, I guess there's something to be said about being able to trust your source Mm -hmm. and uh, having confidence that you're getting what you're thinking you're getting. There's also like. LSD is a journey for sure, or any psychedelic is a journey. It would wear you out if to become addicted to it would wear you out. There's people that do it and they completely fry their brains with this stuff. But I mean, I think a lot of people would more skew towards the side that just uses it responsibly, like once every couple of years, you know. Let's talk briefly about the whole neurotoxicity thing, because I have felt for a long time like a bad rationalist because I do drink alcohol. <laughs> not not every day anymore, but sometimes. I mean, even though there's a fair number of rationalists who don't, there's still more yeah. that do. So I, not I a suppose, bad rationalist. but it, it, like a big part of the whole rationalist community is really being into, I guess, for lack of a better term, like intelligence and and our brains and being able to use them and fix things and. Uh, and I feel like stabbing my brain with chemicals is, <laughs> is a horrible thing for me to do. And uh, and when 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 you first said that you didn't drink, I thought it was because of that reason that that you didn't want to like injure your brain at all. I mean, partially. Partially that too. Yeah, but I don't think like the average alcohol user has long term. Like, if you have a drink now and then, you're probably not going to have long term injury from it, right? I- Probably not, because most people drink. Even yeah. the really smart, you know, even famously smart people do. But it worries me. I'm like, what looking if... at all of these things through the window of every single thing that's going to damage me, yeah. you know, isn't the right. It, it, it's the. I mean, do you ever worry, like, what if I could be two IQ points smarter right now if my parents hadn't dropped me on my head when I was two? Or <laughs> story of my life. <laughs> what, minus, what? minus the head dropping, minus being dropped, I've hit my head like somewhere in the order of a hundred times. Okay. <laughs> and... <laughs> It, it does keep me. You up. Do worry about that, right? It doesn't right? keep me up at night, but it it does make me bummed. Oh. But and then, I, I don't and, feel and like you drink, right? And you don't ever wonder, like maybe if I hadn't had the past thousand drinks over the last ten years, I'd be at one point smarter. Yeah, no. that's, that's like I like I said, it kind of took me away from that. Where where that was for a large portion of my life, you know, what the purpose was was to just go faster and faster and, and get smarter and smarter, mm-hmm. and then the drugs. Maybe they did take a few IQ points away, Um, but they allowed me to kind of appreciate just everyday beauty and stuff like that. And and my life experience has been better, even though maybe I'm not as smart or something like that, you know. You likely would have burned out a lot faster. Well, I don't, maybe I would have not burned out at all and I would have just 
continued to climb a ladder of success or whatever, but I wouldn't have appreciated just, like I said, the general beauty in existing uh, quite as much if, if it wasn't for those. I would think maybe I would have eventually found it, but I, I think it was a lot quicker road for me. I just want to mention that although it seems like the three of you probably look at intelligence as something very tied to achievement, I don't so much, hmm. maybe partially because I don't feel a strong sense of reward from achievement or productivity in general. Oh. So, but I like intelligence for, I don't know, just for the the enjoyment of understanding things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is very cool too. Yeah. You don't, you don't find a, a sense of like, achievement from doing things not not very much um where do you where do you get that feeling from like in general in your life what, what do you mean I, I mean i don't feel much of a pleasure of achievement in general okay <laughs> where, where do you get like pleasure from then i guess um understanding things and experiencing things that i think are aesthetically pleasing okay. um pr like primarily I think that humans are, I mean, both ugly and beautiful <laughs> inside. And I get a lot of enjoyment from delving into minds. Okay. Um, and also, you know, external reality. I just, I don't know. I, I enjoy, enjoy cool things. Yeah. <laughs> also, and, whenever you think about intelligence, a lot of people are related to IQ. And, you know, there's this whole separate thing, EQ, like that is just being able to emotionally connect with someone. I think yeah. psychedelics and, and MDMA <laughs> certainly contribute to those. I don't know if I'm so, so up on the whole like IQ versus EQ thing. Maybe because I'm also low EQ. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. But you said maybe you'd lose yeah. a few IQ points. You know, maybe you'd gain a few EQ. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm worried. I want to nip this before we get on a whole other topic of G Factor because that is an entire episode right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> Uh, we are at 50 minutes, so we should probably start steering towards uh, wrapping up. Are there things that people wanted to mention that I didn't get I, to yet? Kind of. Okay. Yeah, same. So well, you uh, first. Steven, we were kind of having a discussion recently where you were peer pressuring me into drinking. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I explicitly said I wasn't peer pressuring you into drinking. What I was you doing know, if you have to say, I'm not peer pressuring you, but... <laughs> So the conversation was, I think your, what I was trying to do was assuage some of your concerns about alcohol consumption, yeah. just like Enosh needs his, his concerns about LSD consumption assuaged. All right. Um, so yes, it, it, was there a better, did you want me just to, to reiterate roughly what we were talking about or did you want me to answer specific well, questions? Yeah, you can do a summation and then maybe we can do, touch on a few things. Sure. I think what I tried to say was that, um, I was trying to, I guess, I think many listeners will have had experience with alcohol, so they'll kind of get where I'm coming from. And it is difficult to articulate. The way I tried to hit it was it was like all the pleasant effects of being tired with none of like the exhausted effects. Um, so like you're, you're more relaxed. You're, I, and this is at, I don't know, moderate imbibement or moderate consumption level, not, you know, slurring your speech level. Well, I mean, you know, just like with anything, you can go too far. So, I mean, after like two drinks for an average person, maybe you're just, you're slightly more relaxed, but it's, Especially like what I tried to say was after one, I don't think you'd even really notice that you like it could have happened. Oh, if you've never drank before, you'll notice it after one. Well, I mean, I guess one what? It depends. But I guess getting at those, it I also, think. Oh, yeah, we were saying the, the beginning effects of alcohol are so subtle that you might not even think that you that you took it as substance. Mm -hmm. Right. 
you could have uh you could have ordered an irish coffee and not known that it was uh irish coffee you thought it was just creamer mm -hmm. and you might not notice that you're that you're at all under the influence of alcohol mm -hmm. it's just like oh i feel kind of pretty relaxed that's you know it's so i think the the effects are pretty moderate with mild usage and there's not a lot of um like reality distortion or uh personality changes um what i tried to describe was with with me i think and this might be true or not, but my general experience with alcohol is people will be like, oh yeah, that person's a mean drunk or that person cries when they get drunk. For me, I think it just amplifies whoever you actually are. It and so the, the, the barriers and the filters. Yeah, a bit. I bow, I talk more when I'm, when I'm drinking. Um, <laughs> but which yes, might be a nightmare if I probably talk too much. As everyone uh, mentally cringes. <laughs> <laughs> this is him censoring himself. <laughs> But I mean, there's, there's one time where I was at a bar downtown and I stepped over this like fence thing to talk with somebody and I went to go step back over and the bouncer was like, Hey, sorry, club rules. You have to go back around the, through the front, but you know, I won't make you wait in line. And but he, he said it like all ap apologetically, like, you know, he probably is used to people being, giving him a hard time about it. And I was just, I remember this was at a point where I was way too drunk to drive, but I remember being just over the top understanding. I was like, Oh no, man, I totally get it. It's your job. I'm sure some people are dicks about it. Don't worry. I'm not going to be an asshole about it, man. I totally understand. So, uh, I don't think you have to worry about like your underlying personality changing. Uh, I guess certainly not after like, like in Yasha, the day after, assuming you're not hungover, you're going to be just like you were the, the morning before. And during that time, I think, I mean, you might be able to just generalize by looking at drunk people. Right. Well, I, I think the idea that your personality yeah. doesn't change is completely bunk. You know, I mean, there's you could do steroids and you don't get any immediately. You don't perceive reality different at all. But over time, your personality certainly changes. I didn't mean to say that the drugs that drugs never change your personality. I meant specifically getting drunk one night wouldn't change your personality. Yeah, not not one night. It wouldn't change you drastically. But over time. Oh, yeah. I mean, just like, mm. yeah, especially if you're doing it too much. Yeah, especially uh, if you're doing it too much. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly hope I wasn't interpreted saying that I didn't think that was the case. I, when you talk about being like more uninhibited and less filtered, I do feel like for me, like I strongly identify with those parts of my brain, which are the inhibitions and the filters. So that would be like a d different me. That's fair. I think. <laughs> Can I tell you a secret? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it is pretending. And I, I think yeah. I have mentioned this to you already, yeah. right? Uh -huh. Yeah. The 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 first time I started to fall out of love with alcohol was when uh, I woke up the day after a lot of drinking and was still drunk in the morning and I had to go to work. And I was like, well, I'm just going to pretend to be sober. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> and I noticed after that, if I was having a drink... I would have to pretend to be drunk to really get as much out of it as I yeah. used to. And if I pretended to be sober, I'm like, I'm a little dizzy, but I'm not any happier. <laughs> you kind of broke the spell. When yeah, you noticed that, yeah. It, yeah. It really broke the spell. And it was it was really disappointing after that. A large it was, part of it it is was my social. first step on the quitting. Yeah. I, I think a large part of it is social. So there, you can stay just as inhibited if you really want to. Yay. <laughs> I think, what it, yeah, exactly. It gives you an excuse. Yes. More um, than anything else, it's you have social license when you're drunk to to cry if you're a man or to, you know, say the things you really want to say. And people are like, ah, he's drunk. It's okay. Sure. It, I it, think the social license more than anything else is the big benefit of alcohol. Yeah. Maybe like social lubricant is the right word and not like social like force. Like it doesn't make you different. It just gives you a license to be different. And so part of it that is does come from, you know, everyone, you know, the socially, the social culture of it. 
Uh, there's a fun, I'm sure we could find it on YouTube, a video of this, this a video summary of this study that I saw where basically they, they had a bar that they served all fake drinks and people were like, oh my God, I'm so wasted yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know if those people had drunk before. I, I'd have to check again because I think if you, I mean, you would know whether or not after some level, whether or not you're actually getting drunk. <laughs> but again, after a couple of drinks, that's what I'm saying is that the, the effect is so subtle that you might not even notice that it's happening. and Or you could trick yourself into thinking it's happening when it's not. So yeah. When you said that you get the pleasant effects of being tired, does it vary with what alcohol you're drinking? I couldn't, and to, to, to be clear, I can't really think of a better way to put it other than that. Because um, well, I, I get that with beer and somewhat with wine, but never with hard liquors. Those tend to like give me more energy. And maybe it's just because how much sugar is in them. I think so. Like I said, it's it's not even it's not even like being tired. I think like it's it's the it's like tiredness without the exhaustion. Okay. Without it's tiredness minus the tiredness. It's the it's just um, mellowness, right? It's, it's, it's mellowness. It's it's uh it's ease. Um, but you can have that with different amounts of energy, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I've noticed the way that I'm trying to communicate it and failing that I've noticed that changing depending on what I drink. It may also be because I generally nowadays drink socially and I, I pull a lot of energy out of having other people around me. So right. maybe it comes from that too. Yeah, same. I can see that. And what you're describing sounds to me like a nice cuddle and I'd rather you know just do some cuddling. Than... Oh, yeah. No, no. Do do whatever you want to do. I think it. what I was trying to do was was explain to you that I didn't think it was as... What if you're at a family reunion and you can't cuddle anyone because it'd be weird? But I also don't want to be in that mellow space when I'm at a family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> Got to watch your back around those assholes. <laughs> I think that just like there's understandable trepidations about, you know, someone's first time using, uh, you, you know, using THC or uh, psilocybin. Um, I feel like some of those concerns are definitely worth concerning yourself with and others aren't. I think what I was trying to communicate was that I felt like some of the things that you were worried about weren't worth being concerned about. But I mean, obviously, like, certainly do whatever you want <laughs> um you know i if uh if you want to get drunk sometime we totally can but there's no pressure um you know if, if i i think like i mean i certainly was persuaded by like i mentioned i came off the fence on where i stood on drugs after reading an essay several years ago but definitely talking to the two of you put me over and uh oh, no. <laughs> at, at the sense of sounding like i'm right myself. you guys are pushers <laughs> well i mean i think I mean, you, there was, I'd have to, to go back and find it. There was a phrase that you used that I've heard in other contexts of like, you can kind of just, what was it? Like shuffle or like reshuffle your, your outlook or something or some, there was some, some, that wasn't it. There was some better way of putting that that I'm like, that sounds exactly like what I need. <laughs> so, huh. um, I, I'm, I'm kind of sold, but obviously like I wouldn't frown on anybody who wasn't persuaded by that or they're like you know what i'm happy where i am or i don't want to shake that box or whatever right so well, it, it um, forces you to see things from a different perspective yeah Is that you're... yeah something like that which i'm totally down with i mean i uh, like seeing things from different perspectives i'm yeah. just i'm not ready yet to be changed i don't think I'm not, I'm not necessarily convinced that there's a long-term change that is drastic. I'm sure that, that maybe it's a percentage of people. Yeah. There, there like is certainly people that there is drastic long-term changes, but I think most people. Do you think that your, your underlying disposition, like you're the kind of person who would be easily rattled by something else, like, you know, a near lethal car crash would also change them for life or something? Yeah. So, everything like, that you do, not everything, I, I guess, but yeah, everything you do changes your conscious experience you know it changes your state of consciousness whether it's like viewing a piece of art that makes you feel sad or like you know watching a movie where you're excited it, it's it, it all changes your conscious experience 
I think drugs are just an extension of, of that. It, it can force you into a different conscious state. That's sort of like, I mean, the, the, the example that keeps running through my head when we're talking about, like, because drugs, I think, is way too fuzzy of a word. Yeah. If it covers everything from the tea in your morning, co- your yeah. morning or your, the caffeine in your morning tea yeah. to... Uh, Sex. Yeah. Or to, everything. To, to, if yeah. it covers from tea to meth, that's way too far, right? <laughs> but, like, uh, somewhere on that spectrum probably is something like skydiving, right? Yeah. And that gives you an adrenaline rush, brain rush. You probably come down and have a great day afterwards. Yeah. Might change your life afterwards. I would you totally didn't, you consider didn't take skydiving anything. a drug. See, I, yeah. I would ne- yeah. And I, I thought you were going to say you consider skydiving for real, and I never would. I, oh. yeah, falling from heights is... <laughs> I think that's one of the things that we're programmed to not like for a good reason. Yeah, we so. didn't naturally fall from <laughs> upper atmosphere very much. Okay, but you, have you not been on roller coasters? I hate roller coasters. Oh, really? I don't even. I don't even like... I'm not a huge fan of not driving when I'm in a car. Oh. I mean, I can totally get by, but like, I don't like flying in a plane for the same reason. Oh, see, I like, uh, I like both flying and roller coasters. Oh, God. I, I, take, uh, I take drugs to fly. I take okay. Xanax to, to fly. Even though, like, it's interesting. This is an aside, but my, my, yeah. my brain knows that like, I'm way more likely to die on the way to the airport than I yeah. am while, after I get, in the, get on the plane. But just, I mean, everything with turbulence, you can look at and you can see the wings shaking when you're flying. And you're like, well, we're definitely going to die. <laughs> There's nothing I can do. Aww. Like, even if I'm in the car, like like if the driver starts having a seizure, at least I can reach over and grab the wheel <laughs> and pull the e-brake or something. But in the plane, I'm like, well, I sure hope he's not drunk up there. Like, <laughs> you just got to time it so you jump right before the yep. airplane. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So... Um, Do you like uh, adrenaline from other sources, like I don't know, movies? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, I, I mean, I so love specifically the falling. Thing. I guess it might be related to falling. I think it's also just, uh, I mean, that might, that might, that might actually be it. There's the sweeping sensation in your stomach. I went on a roller coaster once to make sure I didn't like them, as to confirm my suspicion that I wouldn't, and I definitely didn't. <laughs> good job doing uh, science. Yeah. <laughs> I went on the mind eraser. Nice. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it was. It was. I'm sure it was great. <laughs> but I, I also don't like uh, the situations. But I don't. I'm not scared of them. I just find going on roller coasters irritating. Like, mm. why, why am I here? This is just physically a little bit uncomfortable, and there's wind in my face, and uh, this is not being productive at yeah. all right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been close to ten years since I tried a roller coaster. Maybe I could yeah. try again. I've changed a bit in the last ten years. Dude. I feel like my, my outlook could be more like yours, where it's just like, you know, especially like if you're being more mindful of it rather than like letting yourself get mm. freaked out. Yeah. Which I feel like it might be part of the, the ability to handle a good drug uh, you gotta do as well. Take a lot of drugs in the parking lot, <laughs> then go for the roller coaster. <laughs> um, Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think just being able to check on like what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, I mean even like the last time I flew was two or three years ago. And I remember that was easier than the times I flew as a teenager because I was able to like actually force myself to not even sit there and do the numbers, but just know that the numbers were there and like internalize that on an emotional level. It didn't completely get rid of the fear, but it helped a bit. That's sort of unrelated. But I wonder if there's anything like that with controlling anticipations on a drug trip. Is there anything like that? I'm, I'm anticipating that there might be, but I have no... I mean, yeah, I've, I've had a bad trip before where I was able to, I kind of got into that timeless state. I was, I was in and out of a timeless state and it was going pretty badly. And I was able to say, all right, even though this feels like this is how I've always been and how I always will be, I can say that, you know, I, I did remember that I took drugs and that the likelihood is that this won't be eternity, you know? Cool. I mean, that's that's reassuring, and I, I would hope to have the presence of mind if I ever yeah. found myself sliding. But you can go over that limit. 
Sure. You know, and and when you go over, once you go over, that's when really bad stuff happens. A, a lot of the really bad stuff you hear about, you know, LSD is probably people that took a little bit too much. I'd think probably like with every drug, like yeah. alcohol, same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. No one, no one had their life ruined because they had a beer at a at a dinner, <laughs> yeah. right? But they yeah. when they stopped at fifteen. Then that's that's when they're like, oh yeah. Then they you know they threw up so much they went to the hospital. Yeah. yeah, exactly, all that stuff. So, I think you had something that you wanted to bring up before we move on. It was the skydiving oh. thing. Oh, okay. So cool. I I managed to shove it in. Like, well, I I do feel like that's we still that's doing a, phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's directing your consciousness and your perceptions of it is the kind of thing that you can do with or without drugs. We talked about mm-hmm. meditation. We talked about skydiving. Yeah. I mean. So it it is it that's sort of what to me just sort of illustrates the absurdity of making it illegal to concern to do that in certain ways. I guess they they need to very well articulate what their reasons are, and they haven't. Well, it's because well, I mean they did. Well, the, like, Nick Nixon was like, oh, it was to right. control the counter- countercultures and and stuff like that. You know, I, I mean, they've admitted it, their reasons. They just forgot that they admitted it, and now they're. I would have to agree with their reasons, I guess, to be to move, yeah. be moved by that argument, right? So the the reasons wasn't the reason wasn't for public safety. That's not the reason, and that's the problem. He said, "What was it? We cannot illegalize being a hippie, yeah, but we can illegalize marijuana, yeah, and, or something and, along those lines." And there lines. are some other, I think, people, ex FBI people have said things about like targeting Latino and Black yeah. communities and about other drugs, yeah, as well. So it's yeah. if you're suburban well-paid white mother you're not going to get as much scrutiny for your drug use as if you're an inner city black teenager you know and, and that's just I'm, I'm very unfortunately how how the drug war is made things that reminds me of something I wanted to ask about. You know, when, when we mentioned, like you said, some people can get addicted to LSD and stuff, but I imagine I don't think they can get addicted. But, but they there's can, people that make habits out of habitual, it. Habitual, sure. Yeah. I would imagine though that those habits are harder to sustain than other addictions slash drug habits because you can't you can't get through a work day if you're on LSD, where I guess depending on what you do, but you can if you're you know had three drinks at lunch, you could probably mm-hmm. get through the second half of the day. No, yeah. And most people might not notice, right? Yeah. You think so, people would notice if you've had three drinks at lunch? It depends what you do, okay. I guess. Well, so, I mean, that maybe that wasn't the best example. What I was getting at, though, is that, like, if, say, you get home, go home and get drunk every night, but you can't go home and, unless maybe I'm wrong, take LSD every night and not have it <laughs> really not no, carry over to your work life. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's like I said, it's a journey. It's something that you take... You, you learn a lot from, there's a lot to reflect on at the end of it. It's it's exhausting mentally in a way. I think it would be very hard for I, someone to sustain a I would a recommend habit. a yeah. Reddit post by someone who's rationalist adjacent. Um, I don't know her real name. I think her handle is like Ayala Girl. Um, she has been or maybe still is a sex worker. She does cam work. And she was living in a house with other cam stars and she did acid every day for four weeks. Well, if your job isn't... Uh, I remember reading this. Yeah. yeah. I don't. So if you guys can 
show it, I'd be or send it my way sometime. That sounds interesting. Yeah, that sort of, that sounds like the kind of job where you could handle that though. Yeah, where like you're not commuting to and from work. Right, you're not uh, your coworkers understand if you're not super coherent. So that's, that that might be atypical. <laughs> it was really fascinating though when she stopped doing it. Oh God, what was her reason? Like it was a whole different world that she felt she was in, right? Yeah, yeah. It, and it it sounded like it really did have some very permanent effects in her way of thinking. Yeah, I, I it's been a while since I read it, but I would recommend finding the link and reading it. <laughs> we'll put it up on our blog even, post. Even one use is going to give you a, yeah. a pretty permanent effect, I think, in your way of thinking. I, but it's it's usually more positive rather than. As negative. I recall, didn't she say something about how she felt like like she could just stop living at any time and yes, yeah, and it just. It wouldn't matter because yeah. like the entire universe, I, I think one of her major uh, difficulties afterwards, after she stopped using it, is that now she's now a single small person again. Mm -hmm. And she's not like this expansive being that takes up all of the cosmos and being shunted down into a small little meat suit again was just very hard to, to do, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. It, it was very... And it, and like, it didn't about, matter if you died yeah. because the entire rest of the cosmos goes yeah. on. There's just that one little piece of you that happens to wink out and what's the big deal? I mean, I think accepting death is something that would help a lot of people. Nope. Go, get the <laughs> hell out. <laughs> You're no, no longer welcome here. <laughs> and she did talk about how it was extremely stressful, but she felt like she was opening her eyes to something important and she just wanted to, to know even as much as it was painful and stressful yeah yeah it was a really good post well i'm curious i'll have to look i'll have to look it up yeah. it's been a number of years i may be remembering the details wrong but it was fascinating did we hammer down did we did we have a sufficient response to like the james randian skeptic type who didn't want their perception altered at all did we ever drive home a solid argument against that dude i don't know if you don't want your perception altered don't do yeah. drugs oh no but i guess what i'm wondering is uh they might say something like i'm not sure randy would or not but someone like that might say if you're using drugs, you can't be uh, claiming that you're you're perceiving reality appropriately. Would, would they go so far as to claim that? I think I would say that you're you're always doing drugs. You know, your reality is is shaped by your stimulus and and yeah, like if you exercised or did not that yeah. day, or if you you ate a certain meal that day, it all affects your brain chemistry. Yeah, the problem with them is they're they're always in the perception that this specific way of altering consciousness is wrong is going to is wrong yeah i don't, I don't well, know better not fall in love because that's a very extreme yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> fear and love are the two yeah. most powerful yeah. drugs that humans can experience and know? what do you do with people who have synesthesia and like see music that's uh, they're fucked yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> they yeah i mean i mean uh, that 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 would be I don't, to me that feels like a counter example of look these people are literally perceiving things in quote-unquote incorrectly and yet they're managing to live their lives just fine everybody perceives stuff incorrectly constantly that's the nature of what we are like if, if you a, a, an easy example is if you put a straw in water you know you see the straw bend even though it's not bent that's just because perceptions aren't there to give us an accurate representation of reality they're there to help us survive you know and there's some things that didn't really need to evolve in we didn't need to evolve to be able to see things straight underwater. Right. You know. And we can perhaps reduce our biases, but we'll never completely overcome them. Yeah, because they're part of being human. And Maybe this using a drug like that will help you to realize that, that no matter how hard we try to overcome everything, there will always be some little thing 
that you're missing and that's screwing up your your perception. So don't get too arrogant and don't get too sure that you have everything figured out. I think that's when I really got into heuristics and biases was whenever I started doing drugs just because it kind of forced me to see, whoa, you know, my perceptions can be wrong. What other perceptions that I'm, I'm commonly assuming are correct are, are actually wrong. So that really fueled that whole journey. Fascinating. Isn't that how yeah. I would have thought people yeah. would have gotten into, into rationality? <laughs> Took drugs and became a rationalist. <laughs> <laughs> my, my takeaway from today is that I probably will continue doing psychedelics. I have not been convinced to try alcohol or cannabis. I do think that it's a good thing to at least consider what you want to do and why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think to to agree with you that there's, I don't, I think my understanding, and I'll know more later that. Uh, or I'll be able to speak more to this uh, personally later, is that I feel like if you if you go through your entire life without ever trying any hallucinogen whatsoever, you've probably missed out on something that uh, Definitely. would be regrettable to miss out on. I don't feel like that's the case mm, with alcohol. Alcohol okay. is just to make talking to people slightly yeah. less terrible. Um, so, it can make talking to people a lot less a terrible. Lot. Yeah. It, I mean, before alcohol, I had severe social issues. It can also make talking to people a lot more terrible, though, yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Depends on the people. Oh my yeah, God. I was very at, much depends on I was at a dinner thing, or I guess a party a couple weeks ago, and there's this guy who just, all of his sensors were off, and turns out he needs those sensors. Yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it depends. But yeah, I don't think I'm missing out on anything really important. I was just trying to make it, try to, trying to dissolve some of any anxieties or yeah. trepidations around it. Hmm. But yeah, you're not, I don't think I'm missing out on anything that. With, I don't can, think, with I don't cannabis think and would, alcohol, no. I don't I, think my life I would be worse if I never tried alcohol. opposite way, like maybe this is because of how much uh, alcohol has affected my life in, in that period. But like, I think, I think the experience of alcohol is partly interesting and something to be tried at least once for its own sake but also just so you can know what everybody else in the entire world is is done and talking about whereas like hallucinogens i'm still not sure i ever want to try that mm. I'm like, i like who i am right now more or less <laughs> <laughs> not enough to murder me yet anyway <laughs> give it another year right on yeah. uh are we okay going on to listener feedback yeah that sounds fun uh, let's just go. Do you have anything that you want to jump on? I'll skim. If you've got a list, you go right ahead. Sure. Uh, Lieb okay, this is uh, on the lying episode, so uh, very pertinent to having Shell here. Liebnitz Integral Kex says, I think lying really quickly gets into gray areas when you get into deceptions that are not explicitly lies. What if I have to pretend not to be uncomfortable in a social interaction in order not to lose status, for example? I deceive you about my emotion and there is no real moral reason for or against it. Same goes for other social deceptions that are not technically lies. What if I know that having my chocolate bars lying around would cause people to ask for a piece and I don't want to give them, uh, and I don't want that, so I put them away in a drawer. It's definitely deception, but it can't harm anybody. I don't agree that that's deception in any meaningful way. No? I mean, if, you'd, if they'd asked, do you have any chocolate, and you said no, that's deception. Mm -hmm. I mean, but not having it out is different. Like, that's, I mean... That's like we talked about, we gave examples of, you know, asking about, I guess, I mean, whatever, how much money do you make was the example we used that kind of sucks, but whatever it is that you don't want to talk about. There's a difference between like carrying a, a, putting a badge on your sleeve that had like a personal bio, like that included your like IQ bank statement, your, <laughs> yeah. all the stuff that people don't like talking about, your religion, your politics or whatever. And like, so not having that card on your, on your forehead all the time doesn't mean that you're lying. 
Yeah. Right. Oh, well, there is a spectrum between like h- hiding information and then like a deceptive hiding of information because, you know, they're going to assume something different. Right. I think maybe if you're having chocolate bars lying around at the office or in your house, it's kind of implied that they're there for other people. It's OK to take. Yeah, signaling all, all these kinds of uh hidden messages maybe not so hidden unspoken messages they really kind of play into deception i think Mm -hmm. in a gray area and the social example that the person used i thought that was often very clear deception where you're like smiling hugging someone Mm -hmm. and you deep down you're like i hate you (laughs) (laughs) isn't that like where a lot of the drama of the typical housewives of new jersey or whatever comes from it's like i love you you backstabbing bitch even if you don't say i love you like you can act as though you like someone when you really don't yeah yeah (laughs) you could just go up to them and just be hey you're a shit person. <laughs> you don't, you don't hopefully even have to go that far. Help them change. Oh, no, no I, I don't think that would be the correct way to help somebody not be a crappy person. What if you much, don't but... like your boss, though? I think your boss falls into one of those those ro- those power uh, uh, power dynamics yes. that we talked about, the where you, you sometimes you can't be perfectly honest with somebody who has a lot of power over you, right? So. Yeah. You're, let's you laugh at your boss's jokes even though they suck or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really funny. That's, you know, I, that's not funny at all. I, I, I feel worse for having heard your joke, but I have to say it was good. So those, I don't. I mean, that's that's dishonest and that's that's textbook lying. But I think that that's kind of one of the situations where you understand it because if you're if you're radically honest with your boss, unless you get along with them really well, you don't have a job anymore. A lot of people need jobs. So yeah. So I guess it is still deception, but kind that is sometimes unfortunately necessary yeah and it's hard to tell when it's more deceptive or or less right it's really hard it is a gray area i agree with that person i i really don't like my sister very much but lately my mom has uh made an effort to get the family back together and so i am nice when she is around like hey it's great to see you here at mom's place (laughs) (laughs) how fun to be talking with you (laughs) and uh yeah I can oh, relate. This is reminding me of uh, when I interacted with my grandmother before she died, and she had really a lot of dementia. Oh, and they people really avoided telling her a lot of things or like would just play along with her. I think there's out. a special exception to when someone is actually has mental problems, though, like dementia. That that is that is very that is like being kind to them and considerate because. Yeah. That is terrible. Well, that's actually, I think, what you're, that's what they teach in schools of people who work with this population that, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for FDR to come on the news. You do that, Nancy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you don't say, he's been dead for 30 years. No. Like, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't rattle their world because they, their cage doesn't need rattling. Even if they're going to forget it in five minutes, you just don't make things worse. You don't rock the boat. So you kind of just, but in that, you're not dialoguing with, like, rational agents, right? You're not, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's not, a, I think there's, that's not a sense in which, I mean that level of dishonesty could be considered a bad thing. I guess there's a lot to be said to being able to get along with people socially, even if you don't like them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, where do you draw the line between being one of those backstabbing new housewives and being <laughs> someone who is like, I want my workplace not to be a tense, horrible place. So I will right. act okay. I get along with people I don't like. And yeah. then I just don't, I, do too, I, do, I don't invite them out to Saturday night drinks or something, yeah. or maybe once every six months, you know, just to keep the work, but whatever it takes to keep the workplace yeah. amicable, was, but you, but you don't, 
like you, you you mentioned the the I'm not sure what you're talking about the New Jersey Housewives I'm sure it's some TV show yeah I, I've heard that like the Housewives of, New, of something or other oh, I I haven't but, actually seen any of them but I've seen like memes sure. and clips so, so but there's a difference I think between like inviting them over every week and like acting like your best friends but secretly yeah. hating them versus yeah. just like being nice right, right? I have a really oh, it was so weird and uncomfortable at my last job there was a coworker who every now and then like he'd be hanging out in my cube for some reason. And like a, a, a hot young intern or something would walk by and after she'd go, he's like, man, I'd tap that ass. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if like, should I play along to keep things pleasant or should I be like, you, sir, are a bad man. And I, I, it was yeah. the most uncomfortable thing. I didn't know what to do about that. And I feel, I feel really bad about myself because I basically just didn't say anything. I let it pass and I feel like maybe I should have said something. Well, I mean, you got to like weigh the risks to yourself, right? I, I mean, mean he was a coworker, not a boss. He didn't have any. But I mean, like, if work life started getting worse for you because this guy knew that you thought he was a scumbag, like, yeah. I mean, it, it but, also depends like how far. He, like, if he's making this person uncomfortable, that's right. Maybe that's the time to step in. But if he's just Definitely. saying stupid things to you, yeah. no one's no one's being harmed other than you for having had to hear it. So yeah. it's up to you. Do you want to escalate? <laughs> I re- I probably should have said something just so that he wouldn't have done it done it again because it happened like two or three times. Yeah. Mm. Oh, he wouldn't have done it again to you. Right. Yeah. Which would have been fine. Yeah. As long as he didn't do it again to, you know, anyone that was the object of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ooh, this is a fun one. Sailor Vulcan says, I would like to point out that there is a factual slash logical error made in this episode. Atheism is not a religion any more than theism is. I, I think I we both kind of tried to be clear that we don't think that it's a religion, but it's a religious alignment. Is that the, the term you used? That is the term we used. Their, oh. uh, the, the reply right after that um, was someone said that, and Sailor Vulcan replied with, yeah, I kind of think that's a bullshit term they just made up on the spot so that oh, they could yeah. dodge things. Why not make up a term like that? I think it's a useful term Words to make up. and <laughs> terms have to come yeah. from somewhere. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I, I honestly really personally feel that it is basically a, a a religious viewpoint i have an opinion about religions and it makes a difference in how i live my life and i think it should be protected as much as any other religion is by the government but that's only in the context of structural power imbalances uh like or privilege by imbalances reflecting different belief sets right i mean you, you don't think that like epistemologically they're uh, anything like the same stance or even on the same sport. I kind of do. Really? Uh, I mean, not in the fa- in the way that atheism makes you believe anything, but I have a very stir- uh, strong belief in that the material world is all that there is and there mm. is no magic or... Well, people, some people would say that you need an extra term, right, beyond atheism to describe that and then that yes. thing should be the... The, the thing <laughs> yeah but i think the generic atheism should uh work as a decent protector for that if like maybe you can use some other term and that's fine too but the strong secularist maybe no that's not yeah. right because secular just means keeping things separate i believe that like humanism as as a formal system maybe includes some of these ideas i'm not sure i didn't haven't looked that much into humanism i i, I do think that the rejection of all supernatural claims like the strong rejection should count as some sort of a religious belief. And that is what I have. I, I, I strongly believe that all that is bullshit and that people who believe it are deluded. As far as like legality, that's what you're... Uh, both in legality and in like social consideration. I know there are like some people who call themselves apatheists who are like, I don't know, man, and I don't care. I'm just getting along. And sure, they don't, don't, they don't have any religious belief. But I feel like my belief is definitely borderline religious. 
nihilism that term. Maybe. are those people damn you to hell <laughs> i am no nihilist no, not, not you i'm saying those people oh, who, oh, oh, those other people. oh yeah oh, okay. i'm an atheist i don't believe in that's right, i don't right, believe right. in anything that's yeah. nihilism okay sorry i take it back I think you are still welcome here <laughs> i think i think i still sort of disagree with where you're coming from but i don't know if it's worth beating on too much but it's like if taryn thought that unicorns coats were white and you thought and, and shelly thought that they were off pink and i was like i don't think unicorns exist mm. i don't think those are three equal beliefs mm. in any way right uh, uh no yours is a much better belief because it's grounded in reality but but then to say that yeah that's that's a a stance i i guess how does that map on to to like either having different beliefs about religion or saying i don't believe in this religion do you, well do you not believe in unicorns because they're mythical magical creatures i believe in them because i don't think they exist or excuse me, I don't believe in them because I don't think they exist. Yes. I think that the problem here is that you didn't have a word for what atheism is and religious alignment, yeah. which is what you guys came up with, fills that void of explaining the idea without mixing up definitions with other things. Yeah. Fair enough. And as far as like politically relevant, it's in the same playing field. Like your Definitely. beliefs yeah, about... It's, it's still just yeah. the same as far as legality yeah, in terms of political legality definitely well this that, may not matter as much in other countries but in the u.s where there is a very specific and strong yes. exemption for religious yes. beliefs yes. having that sort of uh anti-religious belief to be counted is an important legal thing and that i can get more on on board with yeah. in fact this is actually a lie i told to on a formal piece of paper i don't know if it's a lie I'll, oh. I, but i should have mentioned this during the lying episode <laughs> when you sign up for cryonics uh one of the documents that they send you, if you want to sign it, is a religious exemption from autopsy, because if you're autopsied, you're not a, you can't be mm. crop preserved. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, yeah, but there's no formal document that says I have a secular objection to autopsy. Yeah. So I signed the one that said I had a religious objection to autopsy, even though I don't. But that was only because there was a there wasn't a right. a, a comparable way to get that benefit, right? So. I, I signed the same thing because you know I'm also signing for cryo, and I did not feel like I was lying when I signed it. I was like, this is, feels sort of like a religious-ish belief. I mean, yes, it's grounded entirely on science, but I'm hoping that this technology comes about in the future. And I've, I've okay, I, I love that uh, at one point, Eliezer said, you know what? I got sick and tired of explaining to people what this cryo tag that I keep around my neck is, you know, in case you die out in the public somewhere and the EMTs come, it says, please call this number and have them yeah, take care of my body in this specific way. Uh, so I just started telling people that this is part of my religion. I believe if I'm wearing this when I die, I will get an afterlife. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. No, I, I, I do. I, I have once previously, and I wrote this when I was drunk during that drunk period, but I still kind of stand by it. Uh, I, I said that I feel like, uh, some of the people in the rationalist community, the leaders, uh, almost feel like my priests to me. They are the people that are doing the good work that I want to see done in the world. And I am more than happy to help contribute to that. My inner, my, my, I'm cringing a little bit yeah. from that language, but oh God, I'm I sorry. Could, no, 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 you're, that's fine. I, I feel like your, your perspective though makes a lot of sense, especially from where you're coming from. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's the context. That's like the whole framework that you built your, like your childhood model of reality around. Yeah, yeah. And so if you're like, I have strong emotional roots there. Yeah. So like, I mean, if, if you're, if you're supplanting, you know, Yahweh with 
the less wrong sequences. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I think like as long as you know that they're not the exact same thing, and it sounds like you're not completely just like, nope, I've switched out this religion for this this blind acceptance of other beliefs. Right. I feel like that's totally fine. I do feel like the language would annoy a lot of people, but I totally get where you're coming from. I'm sure I just pissed off like 90% of our (laughs) listeners. (laughs) I I do think that it's dangerous to to venerate someone so much that you would just accept anything. I would not at all. There have been at least a few situations where I was like, oh, God. But like if it if it came out that someone high up in the rationalist community was abusing children or something, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Throw them in jail. But because. also like just on uh, factual or logical philosophical disagreements, like even though I think someone is really smart, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I still am likely to disagree with them about some of those things. Yeah. So. You're in, yeah. in any decent religion, I should hope, you'd be allowed to disagree with your priests yeah. all day long. Yeah. If you can't disagree with your priests, get out of that fucking religion. Yeah. I feel like we're not using the word religion in the same way. Yeah. And I feel like you're the only one using it I'm wrong. sorry. I am <laughs> completely fine. I, I, should, well, no, I should just bow out because I mean, I'm uh, doing it, things wrong right now. Yeah. It's such a vague word. Science is is a religion. You know, every everything... Oh, you're cruising for bruising. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything that, breaks down to, like, philosophy on the back end. And, and somewhere... There's a belief, you know. Yeah, but science is a method of exploring the world. It's I would not consider science my religion in any way. I have very much broader and deeper than just science. But, where but science where is like your, a tool. Where do your Bayesian priors come from? <laughs> no one knows where your priors come from. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the matrix. <laughs> Should we go on? Yeah. I'm down to keep going. Okay. What else I, sh- we'll probably get more mail about this thing that I was just saying. Oh, this one is just kind of a fun one. Um... I'm not sure there's a lot to reply to it, but Googleplex Byte says, uh, why is the sky is blue used as a proxy for absolute truth so much? Yeah, I always try to avoid that one because it's color and skies can be different colors. And gosh, that's a bad one. We shouldn't shouldn't use sky is blue. As, yeah, yeah, it varies a lot. Now I agree, but my, my inner devil's advocate is going to just find a way to argue this. So I'll, 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 I'll defend it in that I think it's popular because... You could imagine in the context of having this argument, like say three people are sitting outside and the sky is currently blue and they use that as a claim like, okay, well, you're saying this, but how can we relate that to a state like statement like they all look up and point the sky is blue or grass is green. Now, granted, grass can be different colors. The sky can be different colors at sunset or there can be clouds. Um, grass can be, you know, brown. It can be yellow. Yeah. Whatever color it can be painted white, like on a football field. Those don't change like what you're, what, what you're getting at. I think sky is blue is the default. Uh, like, you know, it's like saying this, this table is, is flat or this table has four legs. I I always like to use number of fingers because I can see it. And if you can't see, you can feel my hand, right? Like if you have things that prevent you from perceiving what I perceive, there are other methods for you to tell that I have five fingers. I've heard that the sky being blue is a bit of a social construct too, that if you ask children who have never been told that the sky is blue, like what color is the sky? They kind of look at you kind of confused. Like, um, I don't know. It's not a thing. It doesn't have a color. It's just yeah. stuff that's up there. Yeah, it's not blue. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that I mean, the sky is absent. Can I steal that finger thing? Out yeah. there often. You I mean, see, I'm going to use the finger thing from now on. Blue. I don't yeah. use the blue sky anymore. Yeah. I like the. I like that a lot because, like you said, it's independently verifiable from yeah. various uh, ways of interacting with it. Right. Boom. Like if you're colorblind, you can't verify the sky is blue on your own. Right. I mean, yeah, you probably could. There's probably I mean, ways to verify, get, like atmospheric. Yeah, you'd have to use tools. But with if my, with my hand, you can pretty almost anyone can feel 
my five fingers on some part of their body. <laughs> <laughs> as long as they have a body. <laughs> they have not yet reached a post, post-human future. Yeah. I, I love that he ended the, saying this little rant about the sky with, your very foundation for truth is a lie. <laughs> a fiction drilled into your head by society. How can anyone be honest when they are surrounded by people living in their own fantasy? That was awesome. I like uh, it. Our perceptions don't give us accurate representations of reality. That's not what they're there for. <laughs> Googleplex Byte also asked, is camouflage a lie? Mm, what, what I don't like that question. That? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I feel like this example of a bad question. Can you point to an instance of camouflage and tell you if it's lying? Like, is a stick is a stick insect lying about being a stick? Like, I think it's just, or lying about being an insect, it's pretending to be a stick, right? So, yeah. I mean, it, but it does, it's not doing anything. It's just being a stick insect. I kind of feel like it, it, there has to be a intent to deceive. Yeah, but I mean, I guess it does kind of want to deceive predators into thinking it's a stick. I think I'll try and find this clip. If you haven't seen Community, I'd recommend watching it. Chevy Chase's character plays this sort of like crotchety, insane old man. And they're having this conversation in the library about how he's like kind of crazy and paranoid. And then he busts out from behind this fake, he had like this cardboard bookshelf that he's sitting next to the bookshelf with, and he throws it down and he's like, crazy, paranoid, impotent, what are you guys saying? <laughs> but so like he was lying about not being there with that, with that bookshelf because he yeah. wanted to spy on them. But it was just really funny because he confirmed that he was crazy and paranoid by, by, <laughs> by being there already with that thing. I think that, I mean, that's, that's, that was being deceitful. I don't know if that question's worth I think it's an example of a poorly phrased question. Yeah. Maybe I think we're just trying to at this point argue like about definitions. Like maybe lying implies that you have a specific target that you're trying to deceive. Uh, this reminds me of something I wish I had brought up in the lying episode. Mm-hmm. So we talked about how I wouldn't want there to it become to become impossible to lie. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like there are ways that you could make it impossible for me to kill you that wouldn't infringe on my autonomy like if you were invulnerable to being killed then that you know that you wouldn't have to do something to me to to create that that state that's true but to make it impossible for me to lie to you you would have to know you'd have to at least read my mind to know if i was lying and then you know signal it somehow that's fair yeah i mean definitely the taking away lying thing would would infringe people's autonomy because you're taking something away rather than giving something right um, it's not like you're giving them the power to tell the truth. They already have that. Well, I think it's more, almost seems more along the lines of you, you'd have to invade your personal mental privacy. Yeah. To, to, cause I, at this point we're not talking about like fantasy. God makes it so no one can lie more like specific technology to make lying impossible. Yeah. But, I Again, mean, I, I did say during that episode that I didn't feel like this idea was hashed, up and hashed out enough for me to actually want to defend it that much, mm-hmm. but I'm happy to keep talking about it, but just wanted to put that out there, that this is not something that I sincerely believe. All right. I, 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 I still hold that if there was like some kind of magical God makes it so that it's impossible to lie sort of thing, that it would be good, but uh, for there to be a technology that reads mental states, probably way too invasive. I don't want magical God reading my mental states either, but I guess maybe that's included in the definition. Yeah, yeah, like he wouldn't be reading your mind. He would just be like, you try to lie, and it's like, oh, did you ever see Liar Liar with Jim Carrey? Yeah. Oh, that was so much fun. He just couldn't do it. Yeah. I I mean, he didn't try the obvious thing. Although, so I think I saw this when it was relatively new. I was a really little kid. And I was like, oh my God, he could just answer any question. 
Like oh. that you might not know, but then his answer would have to be if he if he didn't know say how far it was from here to the, here to the moon. Yeah, the answer is I have, don't know. Exactly, the answer is yeah. I don't know, and not the correct answer. Yeah. I, I, I when I first saw that, my first thought was like, oh my god, he could be like just a, a fact machine that dude. Anyone, you were a munchkin at that young. Well, but it did. I mean, this it, it defeated itself in five seconds after thinking about it. But that wasn't my first thoughts. That like, oh my god, what if he could just abuse this and you know. Or like awesome. he, he could go to the casino and be like, I have a winning hand. And he would, he could try and like, you know, mumble that under, under his breath. Yeah. And if he couldn't say it, then he would know not to bet. But again, <laughs> yeah. he, he would, he just wouldn't, he wouldn't know. That so would awesome. yeah. yeah. That, by the way, that is a perfect description of Steven, that you're a life munchkin. <laughs> <laughs> Only that worked out in real life. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you guys and see if I've, I've successfully rigged a life or not. Okay. Yeah. It seems like you're getting there. It just takes a little bit longer in life because <laughs> you can't skip past the boring parts like you can in movies. That's right. On that same thing, Wudzminiv. Okay, this this username is WZTVM. I have no idea how to pronounce that. Uh, says, I'm a bit confused by Inyasha's comment that he considers the natural world to be cute and not deceiving. I thought you guys had discussed such things before, and I could feel Katrina... I could see Katrina rolling her eyes right there a bit. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean... Okay, I understand that that is not actually how the natural world works, but... I kind of have a Disney-fied version of the entire outside world where birds are always singing and never yeah. eating each other. So, so yeah. I know there's plenty of death and deceiving in the natural world. I just... Yeah, it's horrific. We should get rid of it. I We should have this discussion on a podcast someday. Yeah. <laughs> Googleplex Bytes also says that regarding lying, improving lying capabilities, uh, Kay Anders Erickson, a psychologist and scientific researcher has a paper titled The Role of Deliberate Practice in the Acquisition of Expert Performance. It suggests that learning requires deliberate practice. So simply repeating a task in a manner that doesn't challenge you does not lead to improvement. For example, I walk all the time. I even commute to work by foot, but my ability to walk is only at the level of functional. And then it was also pointed out later that, yes, but acting, on the other hand, is basically just lying, and people can get better at acting. So I suppose just lying doesn't make you better with lying. You have to... You have to increase your challenge level to get better lying. Yeah. Start mm. lying to smarter and smarter people, or more and more <laughs> paranoid people. I mean, I, w I, would, I would advise practicing that if and only if you're planning on getting into, like, international espionage right. um i think like presidency yes not anymore yeah good god we have lowered um, that bar yeah. sales people must have some increased skills in lying yes i would imagine Taryn nods enthusiastically <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you do work in sales don't yeah. you i'm well, never gonna trust you again and all this time he's been trying to sell us on drugs. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> worked. I, I, I think I'm a pretty honest salesman, but by you my would say that by my nature, I have to change people's opinions on things. You know, so I think I do it honestly. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm an honest salesman. I I, I can confidently say that. Well, the benefit is like, and we've not you and I have talked about this that you're selling stuff that you can get behind. Yeah, personally. I'm selling something that I can be honest about it. Right, and. Yes, uh, it, it since, still goes uh, good. Since we're almost done, I was hoping, Stephen, you would tell us that cute story about lying to your girlfriend. Or was, oh, it, was that what it was? That's right. Yeah, I mentioned after uh, on our post-episode chat that I had a story that I forgot to share during the lying episode where I, where I successfully lied to my, to my partner. She was getting her master's in New York, and the difference was that I'd asked her beforehand, because not, not like the day before, but sometime before. I said, hey, would you be all right if I, if I deceived you so that I could surprise you for a trip? At some point in the future. 
And she said, yes. And so if she hadn't said that, then I wouldn't have done this. But since she did, I was like, all right, I got this. So like the day before I was at work and like, I took pictures, you know, like, I guess this was, might've been before I was on Snapchat or before Snapchat was a thing, but like, you know, Hey, look, boring day at work. And like the, the clock is clearly visible in the background, but not like the center. So like, it's not super obvious. Anyway. So I bought Wi-Fi on the plane so that I could send pictures like, yeah, I just bored at work, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, but the, the, the reason that I thought it was fun was because I successfully tricked her. And then I, I showed up at her, at her apartment <laughs> and, you know, she thought I was halfway through a shift at work, right. you know, thousand miles away. So it was really funny. But the, the trick was, was that it was agreed upon beforehand that I could, that I could trick her about it. Right. And I think that, you know, the only reason that I felt compelled to ask her permission was not because she's such a stickler for the truth, but because I am. I would have felt really dishonest, even if I knew it was all in fun, to like know that I could lie that well and like <laughs> misrepresent reality to her that 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 fluidly. Um, so I'm as long a as God, as long as, well, I mean, that's, we didn't actually talk about like my philosophical discontents with lying, and basically, it does come down to the idea that like. If you're lying to somebody, you're taking it upon yourself to say, I know what your model of reality should be. You shouldn't have the real one. You should have this fake one. And I'm going to determine which fake one you should have. That puts you in a really arrogant position. I know we talked about this briefly in one of our early episodes, like maybe number one or number two, where I, I consider lying to be a hostile act. You are misrepresenting other the world to other people. You are damaging their map of reality. And that will have consequences later on. Their map of reality is less accurate because you have sabotaged it and they cannot make decisions as well as they would have otherwise. Yeah, no, I, that's, I totally agree. Any other last things we want to jump on or? The Google Plex Bytes also says at the end, uh, the reason loved ones would be better at lying to you is that you trust them more. Which, yeah, that's sad. You, you waste a lot less mental effort assessing the truth value of your statement, but isn't that the whole point of trust? Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. I don't know if we articulated that when we were pointing out that people that you trust are easier to lie to you, but that's the whole point. But also, they are more likely to do the kind lies, right? The, like, your your hair looks great kind of lie. Sure. Yeah. I try not to do that one. Same. I try not to do that either, because, like, you know, if I ask my partner, hey, how does my hair look? If she could say, you know, yeah, you should do this with it because it, it doesn't look like you want it to look. I want to know that, right? I wouldn't ask... I'm not, I guess that, that sort of depends on what you're trying to get out of it. Are you asking because you want to be told the nice thing? In which case, you're not really asking the question. You're asking, mm -hmm. tell me I look good. <laughs> which um, case, you're the liar. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So, I've, I've had that sort of situation where a, a you know, partner would ask me, you know, what would, what, do you, what would you think about me cutting my hair shorter? And I'm like, well, I'm not really that much into short hair, but I would still love you and it's your body. So, you know, that that, that is truth. And yet, kind of assuaging their fears because when someone's asking you something like that they're usually asking are you still gonna like me right yeah yeah right on like, yeah of course uh i believe that's everything all right thanks guys cool yeah thanks for coming on i know we're, we're coming up on the end of our time so we're gonna roll out thank you to kyle moore for our awesome sound job i hope you guys noticed that the podcast sounds a lot better thanks to our patreon supporters check us out on itunes we finally got this came out uh yesterday we finally got our logo working you guys will hopefully have noticed that by now um it was, uh, it, and anyway, it's, it's on the on iTunes now. So now you're no longer looking at that, that little microphone with the waves coming out of it. Yeah. And what am I leaving out? Uh, if you want to comment on this episode, you can do so at thebaysingconspiracy.com or at the subreddit uh, slash r slash thebaysingconspiracy. Cool. Thanks for listening. All right. Good night. Just going to say bye, too. Bye. bye. Awesome. <laughs>
flushing your toilet is the best drug ever. 